your Bible is still open to Luke 10, uh, you can look with me at the final five verses of the chapter, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Father, we pray now that you would help us in these moments to sit at your feet as we open your word and hear what your son has to say to us. Help us to sit at his feet as learners with Mary. Teach us now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. During uh, my junior year in college, our local chapter of the Baptist Student Union was about to welcome a new associate in the ministry, and prior to the move-in date, I volunteered to lead a team of student volunteers in getting the inside of the new assistant's house completely repainted for the move-in. And so a group of about 10 of us headed out to the house early on one sunny Saturday morning with all of our gear in tow, and we spent the better part of the day getting the house painted, getting the job done. Seven or eight people painted the kitchen, and then my roommate, Charlie, and I teamed up to paint the living room and two bedrooms and one or two bathrooms as well. Sound a little bit lopsided? I thought so. Charlie and I methodically rolled and, and trimmed our way from room to room to the tune from the kitchen of laughter and stories and Christian music, wafting like the sound of a party from the kitchen throughout the rest of the house. And when we finally wrapped up for the day... I was considerably annoyed, as you might imagine, and I said as much to one of the other students as we were departing, sounding not a little bit like Martha here in verse 40. Don't you people care that while you were having an ice cream social in the kitchen, Charlie and I were left to do all the serving alone? That was on a Saturday. On the Monday, after I got out of class, I found that the student that I had unloaded upon, had come across my vehicle on campus and had written me a kindly but straightforward note saying something like this, perhaps you should read Luke 10, 38 through 42. And I think if you do, you might recognize yourself in the story. Well, I did read Luke 10, 38 through 42, and I felt a little bit rebuked, although I noted well and still note well that my particular Marys were not skipping the work to sit at Jesus' feet, but so that they could listen to D.C. talk and tell funny stories. So I'm not sure that the admonition that they exactly paralleled the story we're considering this evening, and I still think those other students could have done a lot less laughing and a little more painting. You can be the judge of whether or not I still have issues uh, from those days. But, but at least two good things came out of the note that was left on my car that day. 
One was that, although I wasn't 100% sure that I liked or agreed with all of her assessment, I did admire the spiritual spunk of the girl who was willing to leave a note like that on my car. And a few months later, I got up the courage to ask her on a date. And eventually, she agreed to marry me. Martha personality and all. But the other positive, the other positive on a, on a more important note of Toby's comparing me with Martha was that I began to realize that day, and I'm still learning this more and more all the time, that some of us, for better or for worse, are prone to fall into the Martha trap because of our very personalities. Because of our personality. That is to say that some of us, by our very nature, are bent away from contemplation, away from prayer, away from quietly sitting down at Jesus' feet, and toward work, towards doing. For instance, though I know most of you would never guess this about me, my personality is get your work done first and get it done right, and then you can play, then you can hang out with your friends and shoot the breeze. And I suspect that's exactly the way Martha felt. That's exactly the way Martha must have been wired. And while that kind of personality can sometimes come in handy, we're going to see tonight that there are times when having that kind of personality can keep us from hanging out with Jesus, who is our greatest friend. And that's part of the lesson of this story. People with hard-nosed, type A, get-it-done kind of personalities face peculiar temptations to miss out on what Jesus calls in these verses the one thing necessary. Because we'd rather be getting something done. We'd rather be checking something off of the list and so on. And so, for those of you who are sitting here tonight whose springs are wound like that, and you know who you are, and you know who I am, you need to take special heed to what Jesus has to say this evening. If you are bent like Martha is bent towards getting things done, if you are type A, you need to take extra care to make sure that you spend time at Jesus' feet. So I say that some of us are prone by dint of our personality to end up missing out like Martha missed out. And then others of us are tempted to work, 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 and rarely sit at the Lord Jesus' feet simply listening to His Word and admiring who He is because of our theology. Maybe for you it's personality, maybe for you it's theology. That is to say that some of us perhaps don't have the Gospel as clear in our minds as we ought to. And therefore, we are convinced that God will love us more if we do more. Now I know... We all understand and and hopefully would be able to say, no, 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 we're right with God because of Jesus' work on our behalf, not because of our work on His behalf. But the reality is that many of us have these funny, fuzzy little places in our minds that though we know that truth, seem to believe sometimes that we might be more right with God if we signed up for this, if we joined that, if we did such and such, if we helped so and so. And because we sometimes think like that, because we have not, some of us, fully come to grips with the fact that in Christ God could never love us any more or any less than He already does, because some of us do not fully understand that by faith we are once and for all as right with God as any person could ever be, we find sometimes little time to sit with Mary and to contemplate the loveliness of Christ and the beauty of the Gospel. 
Because our consciences are constantly telling us there's something I ought to be doing. Work. And so we become spiritual Marthas, some of us, because our theology is askew, because we have an inadequate understanding of the gospel. Or because we have an inadequate understanding of God himself, we can go down Martha's path that way as well. That's what Dr. Ware was speaking about a couple of Mondays ago if you were here. If we have an inadequate view of God, if we fail to realize that God does not actually need us, that he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, Acts 17, that if he were hungry, he wouldn't tell us, Psalm 50, I say if we fail to understand those things, then we begin to think too highly of our own particular roles and niches in his kingdom. And we may begin to say to ourselves, you know, if I don't do X, Y, or Z, who's going to do it? God will be left high and dry. If I don't do it, God won't receive his glory. God won't be able to accomplish his purposes if I don't do what is out there to do. And we can end up with that kind of mentality always in the kitchen with Martha and never in the living room with Mary contemplating Jesus. Always working for Jesus because we think He needs us and never taking time with Mary to consider and stand amazed at how He has worked for us and how much we need Him. Thirdly, Briefly, many of us, perhaps more of us than in the previous two categories combined, end up distracted with Martha because of overactivity. It can be personality, it can be theology. For most of us, I think it's overactivity. To put it simply, many of us are simply too busy doing things far less important than overworking for Jesus. We have so much going on in our lives that we rarely have time or better we should say we rarely make time to sit at Jesus' feet thinking and praying and reading and admiring because we've got some activity filling up our schedule five or six nights out of the week. And the one night that we are free, we fall asleep trying to catch up on the Bible reading that we didn't do on the other days because we're so tired from all the other nights. And so we're distracted as Martha was, but for even less noble reasons. So there are a number of different ways, I say, that we can end up like Martha. Sometimes it may be personality. Sometimes it may be theology. Sometimes it may be overactivity. And often I'm sure it's a combination of the three. And with the parable of the Good Samaritan from the previous, or while the parable of the Good Samaritan from the previous set of verses here, was meant to help us get up off of our duffs and out into the world practically serving God and others, the happenings at Martha's house here at the end of the chapter remind us that busyness is not the only way to show our love for Jesus. In some ways, we should say that busyness at times is not the preferable or the necessary way for us to show our love for Jesus. Sometimes we need to just sit down with Mary, reading, listening, praying, admiring. And so, of course, the rest of our time then is going to be spent trying to think that out, trying to understand what Mary was doing and what Martha was doing and how it all applies to us. So think, think this story out with me under three headings. And the first is this. I want you to notice two good things, two good things. 
Now, perhaps I'm biased. Perhaps it's because I myself by nature am a lot like Martha. But I can't help but noticing that for all that she did wrong, Martha wasn't all bad. There are at least a couple of things that we should note and admire about her. For one thing, Martha was welcoming. Verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She was welcoming. And the word welcome is a noble word, isn't it? Especially so in the Bible. Martha was doing exactly what God's people ought to do. She was opening her home and providing hospitality to God's servants and so on. And so I just want you to notice that Luke, before he tells us the bad stuff, Luke pays Martha a compliment in verse 38. He does not say simply that Jesus dropped by, but he says Martha positively welcomed him into her home. There's not even a hint here that she might have opened her doors begrudgingly or that she did so simply because she felt obligated. No, she welcomed him. So before we jump on Martha with two feet, let's notice her instinct to serve was right and it was good. And it would be a tragedy if any of us walked away from this sermon feeling like maybe we ought to not be so generous with our time or not be so generous with our homes after all. No, that's not the point tonight. Martha's problem was not that she was hospitable, not that she was a servant. Those things were her strengths. And those are things that she's to be admired for. She was welcoming. And then notice also that Martha was working. Verse 40, she was working. Martha, as we read this passage, is not at all like the Pharisee that we read about in Luke chapter 7. You remember him? Jesus was invited to his home, but when he got there, that man did not bother to give him the customary greeting. He did not have any water for Jesus' feet. He didn't have any oil or perfume for his face. Or if we could put it into modern terms, it would be like someone inviting you to their home and not getting up out of their recliner when you walked in, not offering any, any place for you to wash up before dinner, and not offering you anything to drink while you waited for the meal to be served. That's what this man was doing to Jesus, and Jesus rebuked him for it. But far be it from Martha to be so inconsiderate and ill-mannered. No, Martha not only welcomed Jesus into her home, but she went out of her way to make sure that he felt welcomed and appreciated. So while we can fault her and will fault her for being so concerned to make Jesus comfortable that she never actually came out of the kitchen and sat down for a chat, we cannot accuse her of being lazy or rude or inhospitable. And so again, before we rightly draw some negative lessons from Martha's failures, let's be sure we admire and imitate what she got right. Her problem was not that she was hospitable. Her problem was not that she wanted to make Jesus feel welcome. And each one of her will do well, each one of us will do well if we are as welcoming as Martha was. She did very noticeably at least two things right. She welcomed Jesus and she worked to make him feel welcome. And each one of us can probably take a page or two out of her book of hospitality. But of course there are a couple of other pages from her book that we might want to tear out and throw into the recycle bin. So having noticed two good things we should move on then and consider two bad things. Two bad things in the life of Martha. Isn't it often true that our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses? For instance, a person who is strong, a person whose strong suit is conciliation and coalition building 
can find that to be a real weakness if he is placed in a situation that requires decisive, go-it-alone courage and backbone. Or a person whose greatest strength is some talent, whether it's musical or public speaking or athletic or otherwise, can turn that strength into a vice by means of pride and a sense of entitlement. Our greatest strengths often are our greatest weaknesses. And in this case, a person whose strength is that she is energetic, type A, hardworking, a go-getter, that strength can wake up one day and realize that she's missed out on some of life's more important and lasting moments because she always had some project that had to be completed or because he always had to be at work. So our strengths can often be our greatest weaknesses. The good things that we do can, if not properly corral, become very bad things. And that was the case with Martha here in Luke 10, wasn't it? It was good that she was welcoming. It was good that she was working. But it was precisely because she was doing those things that we also have to say that Martha was self-righteous. She was self-righteous in verse 40b, wasn't she? At least in this case, she was self-righteous. And that kind of tumble into pride and, and, and self-pity and self-love and self-righteousness can happen to any one of Jesus' followers, can't it? Notice what Martha said to Jesus and about her sister there at the end of verse 40. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Now you can see there what happens to a person when he or she is more concerned to work for Jesus than to sit and worship at his feet. First of all, that person starts to criticize other people who, quote, don't work as hard as I do. My sister has left me to do all the serving alone. And the person also begins to question the Lord because inevitably their toil doesn't provide the satisfaction and the reward that they thought it would. Lord, don't you care? And that person on occasion even begins to demand that the Lord give them a fairer shake. Tell her to help me. Isn't it amazing? She calls him Lord at the beginning of the sentence and then she starts giving him directions at the end of the sentence. That's what happens to us when we always work and we're not sitting at his feet as often as we should. In short, when our spiritual lives are dominated by work rather than balanced with worship, we begin to be far more interested in using our hands and feet than in sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to his word. And we can become quickly self-righteous. We begin, I say again, to pin more importance on what we have done for Jesus than what he has done for us. We begin to assume also that no one else cares or works as hard as we do. We begin to become frustrated with God who isn't paying back our labors the way we expected him to. And we begin to think that because we work so hard for him, we can somehow twist his arm and tell him what he ought to be doing for us. All of those things were true with Martha. After all, I've earned it, right? I've been working hard. Now you do for me what I want you to do. You tell my sister to come and help me. This was the sad and flustered place that Martha found herself that day as she buzzed around the kitchen. And not only had she become self-righteous, but we should also say, more importantly, that Martha was sidetracked. She was self-righteous and she was sidetracked. Verse 40a, isn't that what Luke says? Martha was distracted with all her preparations. Martha's strength had, in another unfortunate way, become a weakness. She was worried, verse 41, and bothered 
about so many things. You can picture in your mind. I wonder if the temperature is right in here. I wonder if the gravy is thick enough. I wonder if the silverware has spots on it. I wonder if Jesus is okay with the cloth napkins or if I should use the paper ones. I wonder which tablecloth I should use. And so I could go on, no doubt, because I probably would have been thinking all the same things that Martha was thinking that day. She was so good at being a hostess that she was positively bad at being a friend. She was so good at working that she had a hard time sitting still with her sister and worshiping. When we lived in Mississippi, there was a lady in the neighborhood who had newly begun to attend our church. And one week in advance of Sunday, she asked us if on Sunday we would come with her and have lunch with her at her home after church. And we did. The lunch was terrific. We had sweet tea and sweet cornbread and sweet potatoes and mashed potatoes and half a dozen other amazing things. But I think the main reason why I remember the meal and even what we ate was because I was so astonished that she stayed home from church that Sunday to make the food for us. She'd fallen into the trap of Martha. She did something very good for which we were thankful, but without realizing it, she missed out on something that was better. And some of us are much the same, perhaps not with church attendance, but with opportunities that each day ought to afford for us of sitting at Jesus' feet, reading the Scriptures, really thinking about and digesting what they say, talking to Jesus about what we read, and just basking in His goodness and offering prayers. Some days I begin in the morning very eager to get to work and start checking things off of my list for Jesus, I tell myself. But sometimes I can be so distracted by the things on my list that I cannot, literally cannot actually bring myself to actually stop and read the Bible, not to write an article or prepare a sermon, but just because I want and need to listen to Jesus. It's not that, it's not that I forget, it's that I, I, in my mind I start to think, do I have time for this? No, I've got a lot of stuff I've got to do. And I'm beyond certain that many of you begin your days in just the same way. You're so worried and bothered by what you have to get done or where you have to be that you cannot bring yourself to quote-unquote waste 30 or 45 minutes simply sitting in a chair and reading and praying and admiring. It's not for most of us that we don't have time to be in front of our Bibles. It's that we don't have a heart for it. We're distracted by so many things. And some of us who might have the time to do that sitting and reading and admiring and praying in the evening times, fill up all those leisure hours, as I said before, with less noble distractions. We're not distracted, many of us, from Jesus by our chores, but by our channel surfing. We are not sidetracked, many of us, by our work, but by the World Wide Web. We're not worried and bothered because we have a Sunday school lesson that we have to prepare, but because we have some extracurricular activity that we have to get to. Now, there's nothing wrong inherently with extracurricular activities. There's nothing wrong inherently with using the Internet or watching television. And I'm by no means trying to make you feel guilty for engaging in recreation. Just last night, I was in Kentucky, northern Kentucky, playing softball. But what I am saying is that if those kinds of things become a distraction, if they start to take up the time that I ought to be giving to the one thing necessary, if they cause me to be worried and bothered and distracted, and to miss out on those holy moments alone with 
our Savior, then I've fallen into Martha's tangled web. In fact, let me just ask you, if Jesus were to walk into your living room on a typical evening, or if he were to show up in person during that time when you ought to be reading and praying, or if he were to sit next to you reading your mind during your times of worship here at the church, or if he were to weigh the amount of zeal and effort you give toward working for him, preparing lessons, working at VBS, organizing meals, visiting the sick, whatever it may be, if he were to weigh that zeal and effort against the zeal and effort you give to worshiping him and sitting at his feet, what might he say? Would he speak to you the same way he speaks to Martha? For me, most of the time, I would be a little bit nervous about what he might say. But what about you? Would he survey your schedule and examine your heart and say, you've chosen the good part? Or would he leave you a note like that one that I found on my windshield that fateful Monday afternoon? You were worried and bothered about so many things. Are you too busy for Jesus? Too distracted, perhaps? Are you spending so much time doing good things that you have no time or energy or interest left for the best thing? Perhaps our final main heading will coax you not to do so. So having noticed in the life of Martha two good things and two bad things, let's look finally at the kneeling posture of Martha's sister Mary and remember one necessary thing. One necessary thing. There is only one thing that's necessary, Jesus says. And by implication, it's what Mary was already doing, sitting at his feet and listening to his word. That's the one thing necessary, he says. Now, don't misunderstand. Neither I nor Jesus are trying to get you to abandon all your efforts to work for him. The goal is not to encourage you to resign as a Sunday school teacher or stop visiting fellow church members in the nursing home or let the church grass grow a foot tall so that you can devote yourself exclusively to reading your Bible and meditating on it all day long. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. Remember, Jesus just finished telling us a great story in verses 30 through 37 that praises people who go out of their way to serve God by serving others. The point tonight rather is that our Christian lives cannot consist only or even mainly of service projects and practical ministry of doing this stuff in fact if those projects are going to be done with real love for God and for man if they are to be achieved in the power of the Holy Spirit if they are to be of any lasting effect they need to be the outflow of time alone with the Lord not the replacement for it I'll say that again. The times when our hard work is most pleasing to the Lord are when it is an outflow of time alone with Him, not a replacement for time alone with Him. Works are the fruit of our godliness, but not the seed of it. Or to put it another way, we become godly and therefore perform good works that are of value because we have been with Jesus. So there are times, many times, when the one thing necessary is that we sit with Mary at Jesus' feet. There are many times when we need to be worshiping rather than working, praying rather than preaching, 
Reading rather than running around. Singing rather than serving. Listening rather than laboring. There are times when we need to be less like Martha and more like Mary. So when Jesus says in verse 42 that only one thing is necessary, namely sitting at his feet and listening to his word, verse 39, that's not a blanket statement about all of the Christian life. He's not saying that all hard work and service and good Samaritan types of activities are completely unnecessary. Remember, he just finished teaching us that those things are necessary in verses 30 through 37. It's imperative that we serve God and that we serve God by serving others. But in Martha's case, and this is the deal tonight, in Martha's case, the time had come for her to put down the bowls and to pick up the Bible. She had done all the serving that she needed to do for that day. And now it was necessary for her simply to be with Jesus. In that moment, that day, the one thing that she really needed to be doing was sitting down at Jesus' feet with her sister Mary and listening. And that is true at points throughout every day for each of us. Sometimes the one thing necessary is indeed that we get busy and do something, but those times will never be as fruitful as they ought to be unless we recognize those other times when the one thing necessary is that we sit quietly at the feet of Jesus, learning and loving and pondering and praising. Have you learned to tell the difference between the two? Are you able to discern when you ought to be in the kitchen with Martha Martha? And when you ought to be in the living room with Jesus and Mary and your Bible. I confess to you, I struggle sometimes with that balance. And I don't doubt many of you do as well. In fact, I don't doubt that some of you, as soon as I opened up the passage and began reading tonight, started to think to yourself, oh boy. Here we go again. Here's the Martha sermon. I know this sermon well and I know that it's going to hit me right between the eyes. But the goal is not to hit you between the eyes. That's not the way Jesus speaks to Martha here. The goal is simply to call out to you from the living room and to say to you, hey, whoever you are, we're having a lovely time in here with Jesus. Why don't you put down the dishes for a while and come sit down with us? We'll get that done in due time, but right now it's just time to be with the Lord. Let's just be with Him. That's the goal. That's the tone that I want to leave you with tonight. I want you to see this passage as an invitation to hang up your apron and to let the soapy water out of the sink and to let the dishes just sit for a while and to join Jesus in the living room. Just to bask in His glow. Just to listen to what He says. I want to urge you to indulge yourself regularly in this one necessary thing. Sit at Jesus' feet. Notice the nail prints that are there and worship Him for all that He's done for you. Spend time contemplating His great love and His easy yoke. Spend time listening to His wisdom and bowing to His authority. Spend time wondering how He could love you, a sinner condemned, unclean. Choose the good part. That's the message tonight. And if you do... If you sit at Jesus' feet, considering all that He is and all that He has done, your little attempts to serve Him will be put in perspective. You won't feel like you have to do it all. You won't feel like Martha felt that day. So contemplate Christ. Study the Gospel. Sit at the foot of the cross and you will be convinced all the more that it is not your preparations and labors on His behalf that matter most. 
but all of his preparations and labors on your behalf. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. 